Amen. If you need to keep praying, hit pause on this video. Pray your heart out and come back and join us in a bit if you prefer. Um, But I want to share one more announcement with you guys before we move on uh, to our message portion of today. Um, Next week, next Sunday, we're going to be holding a church-wide week of prayer and fasting. So that's next Sunday the 10th through the following Sunday the 17th. Um, We encourage all of you who call Trinity your church home to, to join us in some way, set apart intentional time or ways in order to, to spend time with God, to connect with Him, to pray for those in our church, to pray for our neighbors, to pray for the people across our nation and our world. You know, this is something we try to do every single year at the beginning of the year is to set apart time to do just that. And next week on Monday, the 11th through the 16th, uh, you'll be able to join me as well. I'll be on Facebook Live at 8.30 in the morning, uh, starting off our day with Scripture and prayer as a way uh, to, to, to calibrate our hearts and our lives at the beginning of every day. I'd love for you to join me there, but I encourage you also to set apart uh, some way, some time on your own uh, to spend with God too. Um, fasting itself, for those uh, who may not be familiar with what it is or what it means, is when we voluntarily deprive ourselves of something in order to make more space for prayer. Fasting normally uh, means we giving up food, and that is one option. But it could also be giving up TV, social media, certain types of food, alcohol, or anything that you feel like, when, when subtracted, gives space to add intentional time with God. And that's really the goal of a week of prayer and fasting, is a deeper connection with our Heavenly Father. And we're doing this because we want to make ourselves open and available to whatever God wants to do in and through us as we dedicate this upcoming year to Him. And this is voluntary, right? This is not mandatory. No one's going to be coming at your house and checking to see if you are doing this with us. But We hold it corporately as a church because it's a powerful way to unite together to see what God wants to do. You know, before I've ever planned a time to fast, I'm always a little nervous about the discomfort that it's going to make me feel. But at the end of every fast that I've done, I've never regretted it. Because there's always something that God gives to my heart and my mind in the midst of it. So... I strongly encourage you guys to join us in that. And now, as we kick off 2021 together, we're starting a brand new sermon series called Getting Back to the Why. Not the Y's and the YMCA. No, we're getting back to God's why for our lives. Why does God have us on this earth? Normally, as a new year rolls around, if you're like me, you get busy planning what you're going to do differently, how you're going to change in the upcoming year. But I want to take a series next several weeks to step back from the what and the how to ask, well, why are we here? The why is the highest purpose for our lives. It's the reason why God has created us. It's the the, the true calling connected to who our creator made us. To be. The why is the foundational motivation for what we do and how we do it. 
Because anytime you start thinking about what or how you're going to change, we have a thousand gajillion options. But when we come back to God's central purpose for our lives, that provides the filter through which we weed through <coughs> those gajillion options in order to discover what really matters. But we're also doing this series because for a lot of people, myself included, when we go through difficult seasons, we tend to forget the why and hyper-focus on the what or the how. Whenever we get into some sort of pain, we, we tend to keep our heads down and say, what, what are we going to do? Well, how are we going to do it? How are we going to reopen? How much is it going to cost? You know, what do you think about this? We, we start blitzing through all of these various important questions, but in the process can become almost distracted by those and forget the foundational question, which is why are we here? Plus, as a church, the central focus of, of our unity as a church is around why we are here. We may disagree on what or how we do certain things, <laughs> but we all come together around the why, which is God's mission for our church. So this is why we're doing this series called Getting Back to the Why. You know, the, the famous American poet Mary Oliver once wrote, What do you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? That's a pretty provocative question. But I realized in thinking about that, I can't answer that question until I know why I'm here. Or God's ultimate why. So today, we're going to look at several different scripture passages in order to uncover what is God's original design for us. But then we're going to look and see, well, how has that original design been twisted or confused or warped? But how has God himself made a way for us to come back into line with who we are and why we're here. Now, that's today. Now, but I have to admit, I'm, I'm very excited about this series in the upcoming weeks as well. Uh, because next week, we're going to talk about what is God's big why for, for church. And then the week after that, what is God's big why behind our jobs, and then our finances, our parenting, our friendship. And then, yes, we're going to kick it all, or we're going to finish it all off on Valentine's Day, talking about what is God's purpose behind our romantic relationships. Hey, hey. All right, so got a lot to look forward to. It's going to be super fun. Um, but today, I'm going to look really at a high-level picture, walking through the story of Scripture in order to understand, clarify for us what is God's beautiful purpose for our lives, which will then give us the tools on our own to think through how He has called us to live our day-to-day -day lives. That sound good to you? I'm assuming at home you're saying yes. So, let me pray, and then we'll jump right in. So, Lord... We come before you. Truth is, you're always before us. But our hearts and our minds aren't always in a state of willingness and readiness to receive you. And so, Lord, I pray that you open our hearts and our minds. That you prepare us to receive the word that your spirit has for us. Whatever I'm saying that's not of you, man, may it just fall to the ground. And whatever is of you, may it be, be carried in your strength and may it illuminate our hearts that we might be free to follow you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen.
So like I said, I'm going to walk through several different scripture passages today. But to unpack God's original design, um, I'm going to use this here whiteboard. Because I, if you, if you know me at all, I love whiteboards. I think they're one of God's best gifts to this world. Um, and I'm a visual guy, and so I'm going to try to u- utilize this a bit in order to unpack for us best what is God's original design for us. Um, but in order to do that, we're going to go back to the very beginning of God's story. Um, so if you will, turn with me uh, to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, as I also turn there. I should have marked this out in my Bible a little bit better. Genesis chapter 1. And as many of you are turning there, let let me just say this from the beginning. The Bible makes it abundantly clear that you and I are not an accident. But God deliberately breathed his life into us that we might know him, be like him, and live for him in the world that he has made. So before anything was... Before time even began, God was. And now when we say God, we're talking about God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Eternally existing in perfect love and unity. One God, three persons. And bursting in love, Genesis chapter 1 announces that God created this world. And when he created the world, he he spoke it into existence from nothing, and he called it all good. The divine artist set up this world, and he separated the sky from the land, or from the the ocean. And then the ocean from the land. You guys are going to get to see my my incredible art skills here. Here's Europe. Yep. Uh Uh-huh. I'm going to even give you a little Italy, give you a boot there. And then uh, Africa, okay? That's not bad. It's not bad. But God separated the water from the land, the sky from the ocean, and created these habitats for then all these creatures to live in. But as he's creating this world, one creature he made special above all else, and that is human beings who looked way better than this. That's human beings. And it says in Genesis chapter 1, the first real statement about who we are and our purpose. God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. That that God blessed them could also be translated, God filled them with strength or filled them with life. So what I want us to see is, and if you've been a part of any membership classes we've done, you've seen something similar to this. But right from the get-go, God sets up a threefold relationship around us as human beings. First, we see that God, we have a relationship with God. That God breathed his life, gave life to us. Second, 
We have a relationship with one another, male and female. Genesis chapter 2 says, It is not good for us to be alone, but we are created with each other. And eventually he says, You are to be fruitful and multiply and, and, and have many descendants. That is the ultimate uh, goal, is to fill the earth with people. And then there's also a relationship with the earth. God says, You are to keep it, protect it, preserve it, subdue it, have dominion over it. And here we get at what makes human beings unique as compared to the rest of creation is their purpose. They have a very unique purpose within their three, this threefold relationship. It is their why that sets them apart. And then God says of mankind from the beginning that they are made in his image. Now, if you're new to the Bible and you're new to the, a lot of the language that the Bible uses, to, when God says that he made us in his image, it's another way of saying that the original design for human beings is that we would embody, live out the character and nature of God for one another and for the rest of creation. So an image is like a reflection so as a mirror reflects its object, as the, the moon reflects the light of the sun, as, as my kids like to play the copycat game every time I speak, right? You know, th- that we are meant to live out, receive who God is in order to give that out. That God's natural order was that we would discover our highest purpose, our ultimate why, first in a dynamic relationship with God by which he lovingly shines his life-giving strength upon us that we might image him to one another and to the rest of the world as fully alive, eternal representatives of him. This my brothers and sisters, is humanity as God intended us to be. And so what Genesis 1 paints here is a picture of what God's creation looks like when his goodness is able to flow in and through every corner, crevice of his creation through a relationship of trust and love with his image bearers. This is the why. This is the original design. And it's based on the why that they learn to live the what and the how, which is they learn to obey God. And they learn to live in a way that honors God as a reflection of his complete and total love. But as I read this story and as I look at this, there's something in me that, that, that craves this harmony, this love. This sense of order. Because especially when I look at our world, I realize that this is simply not the reality. And if anything, the fact that all of us crave an existence like this is evidence to me that we were made for it. Which then leads us, where is the disconnect? If this is our God-gifted purpose, then why isn't it the case that Did God leave us? Did God abandon his purpose? Well, the opposite, actually. See, when we try to decide our purpose for ourselves, we hijack our creator's purpose for us. 
See, we, we get here in Genesis chapter 1 and we read this beautifully poetic description of what God has done. And then we make our way to Genesis chapter 2, which Genesis chapter 2 zooms in and highlights a bit more on God's creation of human beings and adds a few more details, including that God, in the place where he put them, placed a tree called the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the garden. And he says, man, you can eat of anything you want here, but you may not eat of that one tree. Well, as we keep reading, and we eventually make our way to Genesis chapter 3, we meet this crafty serpent who we know is God's enemy, Satan, who approached Eve, really both human beings, in order to question God. I want you to read this with me. Genesis chapter 3, second, starting the second half of verse 1. He, being the serpent, said to the woman... Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Knowing good and evil... And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. He ate it. All right. So looking back over this passage, what is the serpent trying to do here? Did you pick up on that? Did you catch that? Because ultimately... What we see is the serpent is trying to sow doubt in the hearts and minds of human beings on life giver. He didn't come to attack the relationship we have with one another. He didn't come to attack first the relationship we have with the earth. First and foremost, he came to insinuate to the human being, God is holding back from you. God is limiting you. By the way, you can be your own God. You can be like God. You know, instead of discovering your purpose from God, why don't you decide for yourself what your purpose is? You know, instead of listening to God's word, why don't you listen to your own desires to see what you want, and that will lead you to, the, to your own purpose. You are the captain of your own fate. In the words of Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. That, that was pretty good vibrato, right? But see, evil came to ultimately twist the why. It came to bring a twist to the purpose. He says, instead of living for God and with God, why don't you live for yourselves? And when he began to twist the why... It led to a different what? <laughs> and that now that they are living for themselves, they listen to their desires, and the what is, I'm going to do what I want. But when human beings designed to live for God end up living for themselves, this is precisely when sin begins to darken our ability to know God and reflect Him. And instead, a darkness and confusion came between us and our Creator. 
See, when we chose our way, sin infected our hearts, twisting our motivations. And human beings, like a plant pulled up by its root, were then cut off from the giver of life. And a plant pulled up by its root, it may live for a while, but death is its eventual outcome. And when we are cut off from the God of life... What does that mean for the rest of our relationships? Well, if you read the rest of Genesis chapter 3, you'll see that all of a sudden there became tension between the human beings. That by Genesis chapter 4, murder and hatred entered the world. Genesis chapter 3, it says that thorns began to grow up from the ground. That cut off from God, the rest of his creation began to unravel. And human beings became lost. That instead, they, what we do know is that something is missing. And so we end up spending our short lives looking everywhere we can, especially among those things that we can see, in order to try to fill that gap in our hearts. And so we start doing things like looking horizontally to find our highest purpose. We start looking to our, to our family members, to romantic relationships, to friends who, who will give us love, who will help us feel safe, who will give us a sense of validation and purpose. In other words, we start looking to each other to do what only God can do. Or we start looking to the world. We start looking to money, stuff. Anything we can find to, to give us some sense of comfort or ease or happiness. Or we start looking to our careers, our jobs to find our identity, to find our sense of worth, purpose. But because all of this is still cut off from the giver of life, it may satisfy us for a moment. It may satisfy us for a season. It may even satisfy us for a decade. But eventually... It proves not lasting. And this is why for many people, they've come to fatalistically accept that, well, my purpose here on this earth is to eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow I die. But for some people, when that ache and that sense of purpose is so strong, and it keeps coming up empty every time, it can go even deeper than that. Fyodor Dostoevsky says this chilling statement in his novel, Brother Karamazov. He says, without a firm notion of what he is living for, man will not accept life, but will rather destroy himself than remain on earth. That's how strong the ache is within us to, to, to know what we're made or who we're made really for. And when we honestly probe our hearts, instead of numbing that ache, when we honestly probe our hearts, we know that there's something outside of this world, beyond this world, that we're made for. Something higher, lasting, reaching deep into our souls. We know that we can, we can have everything this world has to offer. We can have an A-plus in all of our relationships, but why do we still feel like we flunked life? What is missing? That's ultimately to know our God, our Creator. But even when we forgot who we were and forgot why we are here, what did God do? 
what I got. And this is exactly the moment the scripture tells us that God the Son became flesh and lived among us to restore to the Father a people who know him, are becoming like him, and are living for him in the world he made. I want you to check out the Gospel of John chapter 1. John chapter 1. You can turn with me as I'm also turning there. John chapter 1, starting at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life. Say life. And that life was the light of all mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. When we were cut off from God in darkness, and in the darkness of sin and death, the Word, capital W, the one through whom God spoke the th- everything into existence, who was with God from the beginning, through whom everything was made, it says, He came to us. In the midst of our darkness and confusion, God came. To us. And it says in John 1.14, this is of course speaking of Jesus, that he became flesh and that he made his dwelling among us. That we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. He came with truth in order to illuminate our sin-stained hearts. He came with grace, not to eternally condemn, but in order to bring life. But how did he bring about life? How could he possibly come and save us from our own fate? This is exactly the good news that we share every single time we get together in some way, shape, or form. It is God who came and he gave his life. He took on death and he rose again from the dead. In doing so, he bridged the chasm between us and God, thus making a way to life. He took on flesh like us, but then he went ahead of us in order to take on death, in order that he might break open the gates of hell and therefore become the one and the only who has ever, by the power of the Father, risen from the grave, carving a way toward life. Romans 5, 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, God, Christ, died for us. And in dying, he came to give us life. And in coming to give us life, it says that all who believe it and all who receive it become a new humanity in him. Who are know God, are becoming like God, and living for him in the world that he made. John chapter 1 verse 10 to 13 Christ was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, meaning those who believed in his name, 
he gave the right to become children of God. And they were not children of God born of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. I want to see this first. We're children of God. What is a child? A child is one who carries the very DNA of their father within them, and they're growing up to become like him. But it's not something that we've done on our own. It says that we, it is God, ultimately, who is doing this recreation work within us. And now we see, I hope you see, why the only way that we can be brought back in line with God's original purpose for us, his ultimate why, is if we know and believe in who Jesus is. And Jesus says, if when we receive him and we believe in who he is, the same spirit that resurrected him from the dead lives within us and gives us his strength in order to live his way. And in Christ, when we know who he is, we're no longer guessing as to what it means to love one another. But now we are seeing and experiencing his self-sacrificial love for us that we're able to show it to each other. And when we start to see what it means to live for God instead of ourselves, now in looking, instead of looking to the world because we need to gain something from it or we depend on it, we are now looking to the world in order to give something to it. The Apostle Paul said it this way in Colossians 3. Whatever you do, your parenting, your job, your marriage, any other earthly responsibilities, work at it with all your heart as if you are working for the Lord. Do you see that? It's a shift in purpose. This is image-bearing language that our work on this earth really matters. Especially when we see it as a reflection of who our God is and his character. That the God of all life gave his life to us. And we only discover our purpose as we give our whole lives back to love and follow him. And I know that when we asked in the beginning, what is our purpose? It makes it sound like that the story is really about us. But I hope you see by the end of this that we discover our purpose when we realize that our lives are really about him and what it means to live and follow him. And as we think about our purpose as a church in the coming weeks, I, we, we always say that our purpose as a church, we want to be rooted in Jesus, growing together, serving our community. And I hope you see where we get that from. That it's grounded in who our God is, that we learn to grow together and serve our community, placing him at the center of the story instead of ourselves. But in order to discover our purpose, if you're not sure if you have a, a focused purpose in your life, all of this begins with the question of have you received Jesus and what he has done for you? We can't discover our why till we know why he came. And Jesus understood why he came better than anybody who's ever lived. He said, I came that I might become a ransom for many. I came that they may have life and have life abundantly. And do we see, have you received that God loved you so much that he gave his only son for you? That there is no greater love ever demonstrated than God who would give his very life 
for you. And the only proper response to a love like that is to give ourselves completely and totally back to him. And in doing so, the self-giving love of Christ and the life of his spirit begin to flow through us. Then we start to find our ultimate joy in what it means to live for him. The God of all life gave his life to us and we only discover our purpose as we give our whole lives back to love and follow him.